powerful time of worship this morning. Heard that song a few months ago and I sent Matt a link to it. I was like, we have got to learn this song. What a powerful message. Talking about what God has done and what he's going to do in the life of you and I, in the life of this church. And what a powerful message and song. And uh, Matt, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, I already said something to Holland. We're going to do it at the end of the service as well. So go ahead and get that queued up in the in the playlist for later in the service. We're going to end with it today. I uh, hope your heart was blessed. Uh, take your Bibles to Mark chapter 11 this morning. Great to see everybody in the house of God. Mark chapter 11. You know, there are certain slogans that are popular, little one-liners. Sometimes they're a, a product slogan. And uh, you can just, you, you hear the beginning of it and you can just run with it, all right? Uh, today, uh, the title of the message is called Figs, Fury, and Faith, all right? We're going to look at those three Fs, but uh, how many in here, does anybody in the room like Fig Newtons? Anybody like Fig Newtons? I grew up on these as a little kid, all right? So I've got some Fig Newtons uh, uh, as prizes this morning, if you can help me out. Uh, so I want to say a couple of things. I want to see who can catch the, the end of the slogan and get it right this morning. And we have prizes. Uh, uh, Sarah asked me this morning, why are you buying Fig Newtons? So I was like, just hang on. There is a, a method to the madness. So, all right. So a, a few uh, sayings. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. All right. Like, I'm going to try a couple more. Just get you warmed up. All right. A uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. All right. So in this next one, uh, for a, a, bo or a, a box of Fig Newtons, who can help me out? Raise your hand. Uh, don't put all your eggs in the same basket. All right, who said that over here? Who was it? All right. <laughs> come, come get it from me. There we go. Whoa, I'm on. There you go. All right, you can share. You can eat them right now if you want to or share with those around you. All right, got a couple more. Let's try it. Disney is referred to as the happiest place on earth. earth. All right. All right, now a couple more. Um, Nike slogan is just do it. do it. All right, did you get that one, David? Do you eat Fig Newtons? All right, there you go. All right, uh, another one more. Uh, America runs on Duncan. Okay, so. There are, some of you said, now I'm getting hungry. I'm like, I now want a coffee, and people will be making a beeline to the coffee bar out there uh, to get some coffee. But in today's message, we're going to look at the provide the, the, the best slogan ever uttered, and, and it's these four words. It says, have faith in God, all right? So we're going to put it on the screen. I want us to try it together. What is that slogan, church? Have faith in God. All right, let's try it one more time. Have faith. All right, some of you act like you're still, yeah, the church is pretty full this morning, uh, and on a cold, rainy Sunday morning, uh, I honestly, if those of you that, that, that didn't get out this morning because it was raining, uh, you're missing out, because I'm telling you, you can't get that same feeling uh, of singing and worshiping, and you don't get Fig Newtons uh, sitting on, in your, on your couch at home. Uh, and anyway, I'm, just, I'm playing with you. Uh, what an awesome thing to gather for worship with the Church of God. You know what? Have faith in God. There's something about experiencing the relationship with God and last week we were studying about uh, one of the, the last week of the earthly ministry of Christ. Each day, Jesus and his disciples would 
walk from Bethany, about a mile uh, from Jerusalem. They walk over to the Mount of Olives. They walk down the, the, the road to Jerusalem. And he would enter Jerusalem for the day and return back to Bethany each night. We're going to pick up our story in, in, in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. It says, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And he came, he's seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf. He went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you. And his disciples heard it. So after Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, he gets to the, the temple and he's, his heart is broken for what's happening in, in, in the temple. And verse 15 says, he came to Jerusalem, he enters the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who, uh, who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of what church? Prayer. A house of prayer. He says, but you've made it a den of what church? Robbers. You've taken it and destroyed what God meant for good. You've turned it into something evil. You're, you're using it to rip people off. You're using it to take advantage of, advantage of the people of God. And so he's, he's, his heart is broken at what he's seeing. It should be a house of prayer, but it's become a den of robbers. The chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him. They feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city and when we get down to verse 20, we see the rest of the story of what Jesus is trying to do. They passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Remember, that's where it started. And they walk in, they see the fig tree, and he, he, he basically curses the tree. And Peter remembered, he said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed. He says, it, it's, it's withered. And, and Jesus answered, he says, have faith in God. He's using this illustration of the fig tree to get Peter and to get his disciples to see there's a bigger element I'm trying to teach, a bigger story. He says, I want you to truly have faith in God. I want you to trust me through all of life's circumstances. When you face trials, when you face adversity, when you are in the depths of despair, when you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. He says, I want you to learn to have faith in God. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust my plan and the purpose and and so he's seeing this, he, he's saying, Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he says he will, will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. And if it, be, and if it will be yours, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Holy Spirit, Lord, for the next few moments, Lord, let, may we set aside uh, a desire for food or fig newtons, whatever it may be, and, and focus our attention on your word, God, and, and really the, the story of, of having faith in God. What you want to teach us, God, what you want to to, to show us and, and open our eyes to the truths of your word. And, and God, Lord, how we can look at a mountain and, and tell it to be moved into the sea. And, and, and God, you have the power, the authority to do that. 
God, would we trust you this morning above all else? God, the one that come to church this morning and that's at the end of their rope, they've tied a knot and they're barely hanging on. God, I pray today they would leave with confidence knowing that, God, you are all powerful. And whatever mountain they're facing, it's no match for our great God. God, would you help us to trust you this morning? Help us to, to look to you, to, to call out and expect you to do great things in our lives, God, and, and move mountains. And Lord, whatever giants are, are, are defeating us, God, this morning, may we look to you and find strength and help and our faith be restored. God, do a mighty work in our hearts and lives. Lord, the person that may be here or may be listening online that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, would you transform their life radically today? Would you help their faith to, 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 uh, to really come full circle and understand what you've accomplished on the cross and what you've done? And Lord, I pray that this morning would be that moment of their salvation. Speak to our hearts. We give you the honor and praise and glory. And all of God's people said, amen. This passage, there's three great truths that were learned about figs, about fury, and ultimately about faith, what God was trying to teach. We see, first of all, a barren fig tree. There was a lesson about fruitfulness that Jesus, he was not mad at the fig tree. Uh, in fact, but it shows a human side of Jesus when he's hungry and he reaches out to see, hey, is there a fig on that tree? And, and you think about it, Jesus was omniscient. He knew everything. He knew there was no figs on that fig tree, but it was an opportunity to teach his disciples. He never, he never missed an opportunity to teach and train disciple his disciples. Jesus was hungry. It reminds us that he experienced the same human needs that you and I have here on this earth. He walked over to a fig tree, maybe to have a, a little breakfast, and the tree was full of leaves, but there were no figs. And the Bible says it wasn't time for the figs. And, and so why was Jesus disappointed? First of all, their fig trees in Israel are different than what we have. Most of what we see in the U.S. is like a fig bush. A giant bush, my wife's grandparents had a, have a fig bush in their yard, and you go out there certain times of the year, and you can pick off figs if the birds haven't already come and, and devoured them, but it's different in Israel. There's, uh, they, they had different types, it produced different two different kinds of figs. There were small pre-figs that would come out when the leaves would first come on the fig trees, and they were more of a bitter, hard uh, fig, and they would ultimately fall off the ground. And later on, a larger, uh, riper fig would come on the tree. And so it was two different types of figs. Even though it was time for the ripe figs, the tree should have had some of those pre-figs on it. It explains Jesus' statement when he saw a leafy fig tree and, and ultimately was looking for a figs. He pronounced judgment upon it. He says, nobody will eat figs from you. The fig tree was guilty of false advertising. It had leaves, but there was no fruit. And folks, that's oftentimes when we look at around, we see people who call ourselves Christians, and, and there's an there's like an outward appearance, but there's really nothing concrete. There's no fruit in their lives. And the word of God says, by our fruit, you'll know that we're disciples and followers of Jesus. So it was a guilty of false advertisement. Of course, God being God, Jesus knew all of this. He didn't curse it in anger. He was evaluating the tree, the fruit tree that doesn't produce fruit. 
is no longer, it's not really worthy of being called a fruit tree. My dad, many years ago, had two apple trees he planted in our yard. I was a little boy, and, and uh, he plants these two apple trees, and they grow, and they become pretty big trees. And year after year, we'd go out there and examine these fruit trees. No apples. Next year, no apples. No apples. Every single year, no apples. And, and uh, my dad finally said, if those trees don't have apples on them next year, I'm chopping them down. And so uh, the next year, sure enough, came and went, no apples, and they were no longer in our yard. And dad didn't see the, 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 the point of having trees that were fruit trees that did not produce fruit. A fruit tree that doesn't produce fruit can't be called a fruit tree. The judgment that Jesus pronounced on this tree let it uh, to wither overnight, and, and as they came back by it uh, the next day, uh, Peter said, hey, there's that tree that you cursed, it, it, it's withered up, it's dried up, but there's, there's two stories he wants us to understand here, there's a, a national application, he's referring about, talking about the nation of Israel, Israel would soon wither and die, the nation of Israel, the, the fig tree represented the nation, and, and the nation should have been producing fruit for God. But they were all religion and no life. And folks, I'm afraid that is so many churches across the globe this morning. They have all of the, the tenets of religion. They, they, they observe the, the ordinances of the church. They have the baptism. They have the Lord's Supper. There's, there's all the there's this chanting, the, the prayers, the, the songs, the standing, the sitting. I mean, do you ever been in one of those services and you're, you're, you're standing, you're sitting, you're standing, you're sitting, you're standing? I mean, it's just over and over and over. And it becomes a ritual. The Lord's Supper is every Sunday. The, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. The, the Lord's Prayer is quoted every Sunday. The doxology is sung every Sunday. And it becomes the thing you do. I'm no way making fun of it. What I'm saying is, when religion becomes a ritual instead of a relationship, we have missed the entire point of going to the house of worship. It's not to go and, and sing the same song or hear the same words or hear the same. He wants to speak to our heart. He wants to transform our lives. And the nation of Israel had become so caught up in the, the rules and, and, and folks, they missed the entire point. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, it says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Jesus' heart was broken as he saw what had happened to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Both Jeremiah and Hosea used the fig tree as a symbol for the nation of Israel. In fact, in 70 AD, the fig tree uh, that Israel was, was chopped down, and the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. But the root of that tree was not destroyed. Above the ground, the fig tree looked dead, but there was residual life in the root of the fig tree. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was talking to his disciples about his return. And he told them, he says, there's going to be a sign that should be noticed. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 32, he says, from the fig tree... Learn as a lesson, as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you'll know that summer is near. But he goes on, he says, also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. We should pay attention to world events, the signs 
of the times because the fig tree now has leaves again. In 1948, Israel became a nation again for the first time since it withered in 70 AD. We're living in a time where prophecy of God's word is being fulfilled. And he's saying, pay attention. There's a national application there. There is something that's talking about the nation of Israel. But there's also a personal application. Leaves represent our outward goodness. Fruit represents the Christ-like character that should indwell every single one of us. As we're knowing God and growing a relationship with God, he says our lives ought to be bearing fruit in such that people all around us say, wow, look what God has done. Look what he's done in that church, in this community, in this city, in this nation. Look at what God is doing and transforming lives. There ought to be something personal about it. A fig leaf represents self-righteousness. When Adam and Eve sinned and realized that they had sinned in the garden and they were naked, what did they do? They took fig leaves and put them together and they made garments and clothes to cover their bodies. And they were ashamed. But the covering wasn't adequate. In fact, God covered them with animal skins. And he took an, an animal and killed the animal and used the skins to make clothes for Adam and Eve in the garden. Leaves represent religious appearance and activity. Many professing, professing Christians have an abundance of leaves, but there's no fruit. There's abundance of leaves, but there's no real sign that God is at work in our lives. Fruit is an outward expression of an inner nature. Folks, when you have an apple hanging on a tree, you know it's an apple tree. The fruit reveals the nature of the tree. And the fruit in the Christian life uh, is, is the life of Jesus being revealed in and through us. People begin to see your life and you ought to be a reflection of our Savior. People ought to look at you and say, man, that person is so much like Jesus. They are the hands and feet of Jesus. They embody what it means to know Christ, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a, 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 bear the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of a Christian life and Jesus revealed in your life. The fruit of a Christian includes these nine character qualities that Paul writes in Galatians 5. He says the fruit, for the fruit is love, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You're like me, sometimes you read those, those words and you're, it's convicting. Maybe we have some love demonstrated in our life, but you ever met some Christians that are the most unhappy people on the planet? I mean, they're just miserable. Constantly, it's like they're eating briars. I mean, they're just sitting in the briar patch, just wallowing in self-pity and I'm telling you, some people, uh, my wife told me, she's like, I had to unfollow that person. I can't stand their negative. Everything about them is doom and gloom. And, and sometimes it's like, I, I don't, I don't want to see your constant whining because God has given us so much to be thankful for. And folks, he says, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The reality is, is as we are growing in relationship with God, we ought to be demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit. And again, the key to the fruitful life is found in John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears what, church? Not just fruit, it's much fruit. From apart from me, you can do what, church? Nothing. Why do I keep asking you to say it? Because I want us to not only read it, hear it, say it. I want us to think it. I want us to, for it to take root in our lives. Folks, the gospel has got to penetrate. The best word to describe the relationship of a branch to a vine is dependence. God wants us to learn to be fully dependent on God and look to him for strength and daily nourishment for, for help in our time of need. The branch is an extension of the vine. Some people reverse that picture and they live like they're the vine and Jesus is a branch attached to us. Like God, if you could just kind of bless my plans God, if you could just kind of bless my thoughts on the matter and make it come into fruition and make it worthy, make it grow. And, and folks, we cannot produce fruit of the Spirit without Jesus. And folks, we, it's, if we're doing it on our own accord, it's like being cut from the vine. You cut a, a grapevine off from the, the main vine, the main branch, folks. You cut that branch off, it's never going to produce grapes it's going to dry up. It's going to wither. You can make a wreath out of it, but that's about all that's good for. The reality is we have to be connected to the vine. We have to be connected to the Father. And folks, the only way our lives can demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, all of these things, and self-control is to be connected to the source of life. Folks, it's about producing more than just leaves, more than just religious activity, being busy, but it's about being connected and producing fruits of the Spirit. I wonder this morning, are the fruits of the Spirit evident in your life? Is there evidence that Jesus is at work? Is he transforming us? Is we're we becoming more like Jesus today than we were this time last year or last month or last week? We see, secondly, a fury at sin. He says, a house of prayer, we ought, the church ought to be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. When Jesus made his way into the temple, the place that was sacred, the place where the Jews would gather for worship, the place where you would go each week, folks, when he walks in, the place where the glory of the Lord was on display, it had turned into a den of robbers. Only a few times in scripture where the word of God tells us that Jesus got angry. This was one of them. It broke his heart. As he looked at what had become of the house of God, it had literally been turned into a, a place of ill repute. The things that were happening there, the, 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 uh, it's just mind-boggling. And he's, he's like, what in the world has happened to the temple? He was furious. It was righteous indignation. It wasn't a sin. He was furious at what the Jews had done to the temple. What was supposed to be... A house of prayer for all nations. Imagine today if the church of Jesus Christ across the globe was known as a house of prayer for the nations. Talk about transforming, life transforming. Talk about a life change taking place. If the church was known as a house of prayer for all the nations, a place that had compassion and wanted to see our neighbors and the nations come to faith in Christ. Imagine what would be taking place 
in the church. But instead of a house of prayer, it had turned into a den of robbers. Last Sunday, we pondered the question, what would Jesus say if he walked into the church today? Imagine. What would Jesus say if he walked in those back doors on a Sunday morning? Would he see a bunch of leaves, a bunch of activity, people running around, uh, you know, bumping their coffee, fist bumping, having all the fun, but no true worship taking place? Would he look around and not recognize the people who call themselves Christians? Would we recognize him? Would he recognize us? I folks, it's mind-boggling to think about the American church. Would he recognize it? Would the church even know Jesus was present? The religious leaders had allowed the temple to become a, a cross between the stock exchange and a shady flea market. Now, your pastor and my, my wife and I, we love going to a, 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 a antique store, but I prefer the junky antiques, all right? When you see a store that says fine antiques, I'll just keep walking because I know I can't afford anything inside of there, but you go to a junky store or a, a flea market, uh, sometimes you'll find some treasures and you've got to dig through old boxes in the back and you're like, wow, this thing's worth like $100 and hey, give me five, you know? And you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. And I, was t I texted Stephen a picture of a, of a Coke machine the other day and he collects Coke stuff and I was like, man, you need this in your collection. But you know, you see stuff sometimes like that. It's like a, a diamond in the rough and I, I love seeing it and experiencing it. Well, you're thinking about what it is that the value of it, the religious leaders had turned the, the temple into a shady flea market. You ever go to one of those flea markets and you're like, man, everybody in there looks like a swindler. I mean, they look like they're hoodooing each other over. And uh, I mean, I'm sitting here, I can't get out of there fast enough. I'm holding on to my wallet thinking, I mean, I feel like I'm going to get taken. Uh, sometimes we go on some of these mission trips and they'll take us to a, a market in these countries and they're like, Everybody stay in groups of three. Why? Because you need one more than one person watching your back when you're in there shopping. It's a little bit, maybe if you're going to cruise and you get off of, and go into the straw markets. And you know, it's like, I took my dad into one in the Bahamas one time and I said, Dad, I said, whatever you do, don't pull a wallet out. I was like, don't let people see cash in your hand. I said, they won't leave you alone. They'll never let you out of the building. And, and so we're you know, holding a wallet to the front pocket. You're keeping your hands in your pockets. and You're doing everything you can to watch yourself. It had turned into that type of place. It turned into a place where things were happening. It was a den of thieves. Those that would come to offer sacrifices at the temple, they couldn't use Gentile or Roman currency at the temples, they would have to convert their money to temple currency. And then once they got their, their money converted, they would often bring doves that they had bought in town. And they said, you know what? That can't be used. You've got to purchase our own. And so they had their own doves and pigeons for sale in the temple. And so they were jacking up the prices. They were taking advantage of the people all in the name of temple worship. Ripping them off. Especially those who are of a Gentile descent. And it hurt the heart of God. But folks, we go on, he says, there's a movable mountain. There's a lesson about faith that Jesus is wanting his disciples to understand. Peter was always speaking his mind. We know that. We've seen it all throughout the New Testament, especially the book of Mark. But when they, when they approached the withered fig tree, he said, Lord, here's the fig tree you just cursed. Jesus didn't even acknowledge Peter's charge 
Instead, he answered with the four words that we used at the beginning of the message. He says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. He said, I want you to trust in God. In other words, Jesus was using the withered fig tree to teach a much larger picture lesson about faith. He said, you can speak to this mountain and it would move. He says, literally, they're standing on the Mount of Olives. It's the, both a little and figurative application of the, of the statement. He's saying, after Jesus comes back to rapture the church, all hell is going to break loose. In fact, the, the, according to Revelation 19, Jesus is going to come back. And there, as the battle rages for Jerusalem, guess where his touchdown point is? We talked about this last Sunday on the Mount of Olives. The place where he left and descended into heaven, Jesus will one day come back to that very same point. But Jesus is teaching a powerful faith lesson. He says, he's talking about moving mountains. If you think about it, until the airplane was, was created almost a hundred years ago, and by the way, the, the White, Wright brothers flew out of uh, North Carolina, not Ohio. So anyway, we're, uh, I'm not trying to get bogged down in that, but anyway, it was from North Carolina, or in North Carolina. But before the advent of aviation, a mountain would produce a problem if you're trying to get from one area to another. If you're traveling, you either have to go around the mountain, over the mountain, or you're going to have to go through the mountain. It produces a problem. And it was an obstacle as, as people are trying to make their way from one place to another. And that day it was horses and chariots and carriages and later on trains and, and cars. So whenever people would build a road or railroad track, a mountain became a huge obstacle. And traveling over to India, northeast India, the Himalayan mountains, you, you often see them tunneling through. And they're building tunnels to take trains through the mountainside. And it, it's, a, it's a problem. And it takes years to build these. And so the builders either had to go over or around the mountain and, or ultimately tunnel through the mountain. In the same way, the Lord is trying to teach each of us to trust Him, to have faith in Him. We should be progressing and growing in that relationship with Jesus. A mountain this morning is any obstacle that blocks our path and stops our progress. Think about that this morning. A mountain is any obstacle that blocks our path and stops our progress. This morning, Jesus, what is it that's blocking your view of God? What is it that keeps you from focusing on the faith that God is more than able? He's more than able to sustain us, to carry us through to the other side. And sometimes we can be stuck because of a mountain in our path. If there's a challenge that you're facing right now, looks like a huge mountain. Maybe you're staring up at a financial mountain and you're like, we're never going to get to the other side. There's no way. There's absolutely, my accountant said, there's no possible way. My doctor said, there's no possible. Have you met our God? Have you met the God who created the mountain? The God who created you? The God who sent his son to die on the cross? And he rose victoriously from the grave. Folks, maybe you're just sitting there, and maybe it's a family member relationship that's gone bad, and it seems like an insurmountable mountain. Maybe it's a physical mountain, a sickness, a disease. 
that you just can't seem to overcome. And folks, let me share, there's three mountain moving principles that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. He says, speak to the mountain. Speak to the mountain, not just about it. Speak to the mountain. Jesus told his disciples, he says, if you truly believe, you can speak to the mountain. We love to talk about our problems. We love to talk about the obstacles, the giants in our lives. But sometimes we never get around to addressing the problem itself. I love the way Eugene Peterson writes this in the message. This is the way it says, he says, if you embrace this kingdom life and don't doubt God, he says, you'll not only do minor feats like I did with the fig tree, but also triumph over huge obstacles. This mountain, for instance, you'll tell, go jump in the lake and it'll jump. That's the reality is, folks. If we truly have faith in God, there's nothing that will stop the power of God from moving mountains in our lives. The truth is, the more we talk about the mountain, the bigger it gets. It's just like the people that talk about their, their, uh, their fish, you know, that caught this fish and it went from about six inches to it's three feet long. And, but, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, the, preg the pain of childbirth and before long you're like, oh, you talk to you, some of you new uh, uh, wives will be like, I'm never going to have a child. <laughs> I don't want to go through that. I've, I've listened to all the stories. But, folks, sometimes we start talking about the mountain in front of us. And it gets higher and higher. It becomes more challenging, like we'll never absolutely ever pass that mountain. Sometimes we turn a molehill into a mountain. Think about it. We, we turn the, the smallest thing into something. And he says, if you don't speak to your mountain, it will speak to you. It will taunt you. Look at me. He says, you can't get past me. You'll never be healthy. You'll never get out of debt. You'll never kick that habit. She's never going to take you, whatever you, you're never going to get that raise. You're never going to get that promotion. Your kids are never going to get out of jail. You're never going to, hey folks, we can sit there and wallow in self-pity, but folks, Jesus is in the business of moving mountains. Just speaking directly to the mountain. Mountain, there's not enough room for both of us in this life. You've got to go jump into the lake. There's a gospel song that says, mountain, get out of my way. <laughs> There's a, it's time to tell the mountain to get out of my way. You're, you've been creating problems long enough. Secondly, focus on God's power, not the size of the mountain. The Bible's full of stories of people who faced mountains. Sometimes mountains are disguised as challenging or difficult people. If you remember, David was a shepherd boy and he goes to take food to his brothers as they're on the battlefield fighting the Philistine army. And, and he goes and he hears all this commotion and the nation of Israel is terrified. They're trembling. They're like, have you seen Goliath? He's huge. He's massive. He's 10 feet tall and he keeps shaking his fist and and taunting the people of Israel. And David's like, your sword and your spear are no match for my God's power. Your sword and your spear, your, your height are no match for that. He says, do you know the God we serve? He has a name and he's, this hill isn't big enough for the both of us. 
He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And this day the Lord will hand you over. And he tells him, I'm going to knock you down. I'm going to chop your head off. And you can only imagine Goliath is going, you have lost your teeny mind. You're such a puny little shepherd boy. You've, you've lost your complete mind. He says, I'm going to chop it off your head. And he says, everyone's going to know that this battle is the Lord's. Now, Mountain, get out of my way. And, and he takes that slingshot and throws a couple stones and knocks him dead to the ground. And takes Goliath's own sword and chops his head off. I'm telling you, a few years ago in Israel, that was the greatest, one of the greatest things I saw was standing on the mountain overlooking the, va- the Eli Valley and, and just imagining what it must have been like because just a few moments before, Goliath is standing up there beating his chest, taunting the nation of Israel. David comes up and, and the name of the Lord slays the giant and, and they destroy the Philistine army. And folks, God is glorified once again. The name of God is, is magnified. And, and as I stood there, and in my office I have five stones that I picked up out of a brook there. They said that they literally have to keep replacing those stones like every month because all the tourists from America come and pick up five stones just like David did as he would go fight Goliath. And so I, I went through security with all five of those stones in my backpack. I got home and I was going to Nicaragua a few days later and I realized I had five rocks in my bag getting ready to go through security. <laughs> That's going to be problematic. How did I get back from Israel? They have the tightest security in the world. But anyway, I had those five stones in my office. It's a reminder of having faith in God. He can move that mountain. There's nothing that's too big. Goliath is too big to fight, they said. David said, he's too big to miss. Are you complaining to God about the size of your mountain today? You should be telling the mountain about the size of your God. God is too big to fail. He's too great, too powerful. He says, thirdly, realize that God may choose to move you rather than the mountain. Think about it. We often go to God in prayer, and we're wanting him to change everyone around us. Ever thought when you pray, God might be trying to change my heart? Sometimes people say, well, Pastor, I could never go on a mission trip. Why don't you pray about that? Because God might have some other thoughts. He might want to do something in your life that's so life-changing, you couldn't experience that this side. And so go ahead and speak to the mountain. Tell it to jump in the lake. But sometimes mountains are mountains of our own making. Sometimes we've created that mountain out of the molehill. And it may be a mountain of fear or anger that we've piled up in front of ourselves. And it's keeping us in fear of God's plan and our future, his purposes for our life. It could be a mountain created by your own bad choices. In some cases, God may move you instead of the mountain. So, Pastor, what's the application? So we land the plane this morning. I want to tell you a story. I remember... In 2016, it was the summer of 2016, we were on a mission trip to, to Romania. Stephen was with me, and I remember we went to a, a, a Romanian uh, gypsy church, and we were, I was getting ready to preach, and they said, you've got to hear the story about how this church was built. Elijah was standing there, he's a, the missionary we were working with, and he said, 
the gypsies build things differently than anybody, anybody else on the planet. He said, when they come to build a, a church, he says, they build the entire building in one week. Not one year, not one month. He said, they build the entire church in one week. He said, they get all the permits up in advance. All of the materials are on site. And he says, they bring in people from all over the country, masons, carpentry, all of the uh, you know, bricklayers, everybody, uh, the, the electri electricians, the flooring, everybody is on site. And he says, they build that building in one week. He said, it came time to build this church building. It had been a few years since it had been built. He said, they were calling for torrential downpours. You remember the story? All week. He says, we circled this property and we got on our knees and said, God, we know this is your church. And you've called us to be a part of building a church that's going to reach the people of this community, this village in Romania, with the gospel. And they're like, all the supplies are here. The money has been raised. The people are here to do the work. And old Greg Fischel and WREL is telling us it's going to rain. <laughs> they're telling us it's going to rain all week. It's going to be torrential downpours. And they said, God, would you part the clouds, hold back the rain, so we can build this Romanian church. Pastor Elijah stood there and he said, I'm telling you, where we're standing is holy ground. He said, because God literally, he parted those clouds for an entire week. He said, all around the perimeter of the church, Across the street, it was pouring. Behind the church, it was pouring. He said for, for an entire week, it did not rain one drop. And he said they built this entire church in one week for the glory of God. He said when it was all said and done, I mean, we were all in tears at that point. We were, like, I can't even, I mean, like I've been standing here with chill bumps thinking, there's no way. And he says... We finished the building. He says, the end of the week, it was time to dedicate it. He said, all the people of the church were gathered. We went inside the building. He said, the bottom fell out. It was absolutely pouring. He said, but we experienced mountain-moving faith. He said, God parted the skies, and we literally were able to build the church. And he said, the rain that came once they got inside for the dedication was just the blessing of God. He said, God did something so supernatural. That, he said, it defied all of the weather channel. Uh, if you looked at your app, it's pouring rain. Not here. He said, it was clear as a bell. He said, it was raining across the street and the people behind us were getting flooded. But he said, not one drop. And he said, God moved that mountain. He parted the sky. I wonder this morning, how's your faith in God today? How's your faith in God? Because whatever that mountain is, whatever that giant is, it can be so overwhelming. It can be so intimidating. It can 
cause us to tremble, to, to be scared, and to, to cower back and sing, there's no way. I'm just going to give up. I'm going to let go. I'm going to throw in the towel. There's, there's nothing worth fighting for. And God is saying, have you forgotten the God of, of David who came up against the giant of Goliath? The God of Moses parts the Red Sea? The God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Elijah who took him out in the fiery chariot? The, every single one of those, folks, that's the same God we worship today. That's the same God we serve. The God of Joseph who delivered him from the, the pit and from the, from the prison cell. Ultimately, that's the God we serve. The God of, of Daniel who's in the, the lion's den and, and God delivered him. The God of the three Hebrew children who were in the fiery furnace. That's the same God you and I worship today. So he says, have faith in God. Have faith in God, when the winds of adversity blow into your life, sometimes we lose our faith in God. When mountains too tall to climb stand in your way and block your progress, what is your response? Here's the solution for any problem that you're facing. Have faith in God. Here's the answer to any need in your life. Have faith in God. I wonder this morning, what mountain is in your way? What, what mountain is in your way this morning? And speak to the mountain and focus on God's power. I want to invite you to stand this morning. We're going to sing about what he's done. We're going to sing about the power of our God and have faith in the God who is able, who has who still will and, and, and is going to do it again tomorrow, folks. He is on the throne. He's all-powerful. What he's done is supernatural. It's so powerful, folks. Trust in God. Have faith in God. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning?